0: What a world, this is Anthony Roberts, host of The Reality Is Where a Field Trend Becomes Extinct, alongside my co-host, Artesia.
1: This podcast is powered by Roberts Media
0: Group, your
1: resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities,
0: please visit us at RobertsMediaGroup.co. And let's get to the motherfucking show. You are now listening to The Reality Is. The, the, the Reality Is. i listen to
1: the fact that, you know, okay, he is, you know, uh, convicted of murder, and, and, and obviously that's a heinous crime, but I gave him a bit of grace.
0: Alright, what up world? This is Anthony Roberts, host of The Reality Is Where Turn Becomes Extinct. Uh, no, I know most of you guys are used to having Artesia uh, doing the recordings and the interviews with me, but as you heard on the last episode, she does not or will not be doing most of the interviews anymore. But she is in a booth in the studio, so if you hear me laughing, then, you know, hey, you'll know that she's in here. I'm not crazy and laughing by myself, but... I also want to introduce our special guest today, Ebony Roberts, author of The Love, Prison Made, and Unmade, her memoir. How are you doing today, Ms. Ebony?
1: I'm well, thank you. How are you today, Anthony?
0: Doing all right, doing all right. Now, I told you I just got the book. The book came a little late, so we're going to be getting a lot of information um, really from you today, not from me reading the book. And um, as the listeners already know, when we do talk to our guests, we actually ask them real questions off the flip. It's nothing that's written Mm -hmm. up or anything like that. So if you could just tell us a little bit okay. about the book, uh, The Love, The Prison Made and Unmade, and why, how did you come up with that name?
1: Okay, great. So, um, so 13 years ago, I met a man named Shaka Senghor, and I was a young activist in Detroit. I'm from Detroit. Um, and um, met him while I was doing some work inside prisons, And he was a man serving um, a 17 to 40-year sentence for second-degree murder. And we met, started corresponding, and fell in love um, through a series of letters. And then I started visiting and decided that, you know, this was the man that um, I want to spend the rest of my life with. He met all of the, you know, the things on my list. You know, women, we have our list. Mm-hmm. He met all of the things on my list. And it was like, okay, guy, like, okay, wait a minute, this man is- prison um yeah (laughs) how's this gonna work but if you know anything about dating and this was 13 years ago and it was it was hard (laughs) and I was I had been meeting guys but they just weren't a good fit for me and so even though he was in prison I was like you know what I'm gonna give this a chance and I didn't know where it was gonna lead but I wanted to honor my feelings and I decided to um to wait for him and so I ended up waiting uh four years for him to come home and when he came home, you so, know, so of course I was excited. I'm, I'm,
0: okay. I don't want to interrupt you, but I I jump in from time to time. Go but ahead. I do want to ask, because this is an interesting story, first of all, and I got the gist of that from when we were reading the uh, bio on you. What kind mm-hmm. of pushback, if any, did you get from family and friends, or was this something that you, you know, kind of kept to yourself until you realized, hey, I really care about him, he cares about me? Like, what was that like, yeah. telling that to your family and friends?
1: Oh, there was definitely pushback. Um I don't want to reveal too much, but yeah. my mother's response uh, was probably the harshest. Okay. Um, and I told her first. Yeah. Well, she was the first family member I told. So I had told um, several people who I worked with in the um, prison work that I was doing. So because they were familiar and they wouldn't be as judgmental. Yeah. So I had shared that information, mm-hmm. but in terms of family, you know, I was going. Every weekend, I was going to visit him like an hour away. I'm on a road by myself. And I said, you know what? My mama's always the person I tell her I'm on the road. And I'm like, if anything happens, I want her to, you know, I, yeah, I want her on. to know that I'm on the road. Yeah, yeah so um, she was the first person I told. And, um, yeah, she was not happy, as I'm sure any mother would. And, you know, black mamas have their way. So, Very yeah, it so. was not a good conversation. <laughs> But, um, and then, after that, I told my brother, and you know gradually started telling family I was very hesitant to share, but um, I wasn't ashamed of our relationship, but uh-huh. I also knew that it was going to come with judgment, and of course, the average you know person was like, "Girl, why are you out stay in, in prison?" This? And once they found out why he was in prison, it was like, you know it's safe, you know
0: people were really concerned um. Yeah. And I was going to ask that, like, so with him being in prison and you don't have to answer this, but I, I feel like the listeners will want to know. And I'm curious as well. Was he so clearly he was found guilty on those charges? Was it yeah. one of those things to where did you even have a second thought with it being murdered? Where you like, yo, because I mean, like you said, black women, you already get judged hard. It's hard to date out here. And I've even had friends and even family members who have dated somebody that's incarcerated. And my first thought process was you just want them to be OK. You know, and you feel like, hey, if they're, you know, we always tell people, you know, wait to judge, but we're quick to do it and we want people to be patient with us when they're judging us, but we, we don't give that. So did you ever fear, not fear, but did you ever have concerns of like, okay, when he finally gets out, you know, will he go back to his old ways or, you know, was this a self defense murder? You know, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So, um, because of, um, the, the political work I was doing in prisons, I was, I was I didn't look at him or anyone else um, any brothers I should say in prison in the way that a lot of people do yeah. so I know that black boys and men, uh fall victim to the drug um, so-called drug war to the prison industrial complex and so I was sensitive to the fact that you know okay he is you know uh, convicted of murder and um, and and obviously that's a heinous crime but I gave him a bit of grace because and this is before I even knew the circumstances of his crime. I gave him a bit of grace because, you know, he was convicted in nineteen ninety one, you know, Detroit, height of the crack epidemic. Yeah. I put some pieces together in my mind, you know. Yeah. And so I know that, you know, I had friends who had also gone to prison. Um, and, and family members who had gone to prison. And so I was I didn't look at him in the same way yeah. that a lot of people may have. And so, when I did find out the circumstances, it was it he was a drug related self-defense okay, um gotcha. crime okay. so once I learned the details um you know I, you know it, it thinks, you know the, it it didn't take away the seriousness of the crime, but it mm. made me understand and then once I learned his story, that was a part of you know the the parts that I fell in love with him was his was his soul you know I fell in love with the part because like a lot of men and women who get caught up in the system he had a story yeah and so he had trauma before he went to prison
0: and that's what I was going to ask you like how do you how do you support him or what how was the communication because you know it's in every relationship communication is a big thing to make the relationship work was he able to communicate to you like hey this is what I need to make this work and were you able to communicate to him because you know when you get in a relationship it's like hey I like to hold hands I like to spend quality time I like to do certain things. How did you guys uh, satisfy each other's needs without being able to physically, you know, touch or interact with each other for so long?
1: Right. So it was mostly through letters and actually in the, in a relationship like this, there is communication is absolutely important yeah. because that you don't have that everyday interaction that you have when a person is free. And so you have to be a good communicator. And that's actually one of the reasons that made me fall in love with him is because he's such a good communicator. So he, actually is a writer and has gone on to, you know, he's written several books and went on to write his um, memoir, which Mm -hmm. became a New York Times bestseller. And so, you know, because he was such a good writer, and I'm a writer as well, if you could imagine, you know, our letters were just really long and detailed and thoughtful and deep. And, you know, I mean, like 10-page typed letters. Like we were writing like many, you know, many novels or many, you know, in every other day it allows you, know you I mean? to be Dark and i think it allows
0: you to be there with him doing that because you know when you write you create a thought so it's like if you're writing a 10 page letter yeah. and it takes me 15 minutes to read it you're in la la land in your mind as you read this
1: yeah yeah especially because we're both you know being writers both very detailed so yeah. i'm telling a story i'm not just telling you you know the basics I I love stories. So, and you know, I'm a woman and I love, I'm like all (laughs) of this, give it all. So I gave, you know, so we had a lot. And then eventually we started visiting. And so the visits, you know, and I would go, you know, and spend eight, nine hours a day. You know, he'd only could get eight visits a month, but each time Mm. I went, I would stay for eight or nine hours. So you can imagine lots of talking, but also lots of moments of just silence and just allowing ourselves to be. And I felt like we had to talk all the time. Yeah um and just allowing ourselves to just kind of get and you know get into some of um some sense of normalcy and just kind of sitting people watching you know yeah. but yeah communication was was definitely you know the reason why i was able to wait because we were and you know i mean i don't know if you were planning to, to ask these questions but when it, in terms of needs like you know me being you know on the outside and having sexual needs yeah. him at that point having been in prison for fifteen years so definitely he was used having to masturbation. Needs. Yes. Yes, definitely having sexual needs, but he had gotten used to, to dealing with those. Yeah. Sexual you know what I'm saying Outside he had gotten someone. accustomed to having to do de- Right, yeah. So, you know, that was masturbation was, was um was nothing. I mean, you know, we all we adults, so we all masturbate, but sure. I had to rely on that. You know, and so we so so we had letters, very, very like erotic letters that we wrote to each other again because 'cause we're both writers. They were very detailed, very you know, um very erotic like zane Now, <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, but we also you know we we phone sex or all of that, so we we there were definitely we had that discussion very early on like, okay, if I'm gonna do this, this is what I need, and so he was willing to meet me where you know, yeah, where, where now you I said you said
0: phone that. sex, right. Yes, I did. How did that work? I, he, now, you know, I'll, and when you said that, this is the vision I painted. I was like, okay, you know how they always have the line on the prison movies, and it's like the guy at the phone, and he's like, the girl's like, hey, tell me you love me. And he's like, I love you. And he his shoulders have to, like, block out the volume of what he's saying. I bet his shoulders had to get real broad for some of those, <laughs> some of those Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. He had to sit for a
1: minute before he could leave, <laughs> uh, leave the phone area. But, yeah.
0: That's what's up. So, so you told you've told us a little bit about um the book and how the love prison made. How did it unmake it? Since the second half of that is unmade.
1: Yeah, yeah. So he was. Um, we were unprepared for the impact that all of that. You know, his years in the streets, as well as his he um, did nineteen years in prison. So yeah. his, you know, nineteen years um, incarcerated. How that would impact him and therefore our relationship because you know he's he's a street dude you know he's strong he's tough and so he really felt like prison didn't have that impact because he was so strong and he's like you know i'm not like other guys you know because you you know you you know being in prison is guys who who literally you know lose their mental health you know what i'm saying that there's a lot of instability and so because he Hadn't had that experience. He's like, I'm good. So I'm, you know, I've never been in prison, so I'm trusting him that he's good when he tells me that. And so when he came home, there was just a lot of struggle for him transitioning. And then, of course, that led to, and for me too, yeah. you know, because I had been, you know, even though we were had been together for four years, I was used to being by myself. So I was very, you know, I'm an independent black woman. Yeah, you know, I'm educated. Da, da 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 da. So you know, him being um, in prison, and then me also you know, being by myself at home without him, we were kind of both stuck in our ways and we went straight to living together, which I would not recommend anybody do from that experience. And of course, we we love each other. We wanted to be together every day and we thought there was nothing wrong with that. But it was too much too soon. And in hindsight, we wished we had dated for a little while. And, you know, he lived separately and we kind of dated and kind of like readjusted to each other. Yeah. Under different circumstances, yeah, and he's
0: going from a sale to a house, and you, like you said, you're going from you know coming home, doing what you want, going as you please, having a hard day at work, yeah. or you know traveling, doing whatever you're doing, and coming home, and somebody's there when you may not want them to be there. So yeah, I can definitely imagine <laughs> right. that being being hard, and yeah, yeah, and and what he, yeah, you said he was like when he came out, he were he was like, oh, you know, I'm different, but. Even people being in jail, I only did two weeks in prison. And I'm going to tell you right now, I feel like I had PTSD. Mm-hmm. So to be in there yeah, for however long absolutely. he was in there, that's like going, that's like a soldier going over to the Afghan war and not fighting, yes. but seeing people die, seeing people get killed, hearing about it and always living. No
1: fighting. Yes. Yeah. No fighting. Really? And fi- yeah. So <laughs> it's like, he, yeah, he <laughs> has some
0: sort of PTSD. And absolutely. if it took a big gap of his life and he spent a decade in prison, that's your new normal. So the outside world is yeah. not what you're familiar with.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, he was in prison for nineteen years, so he was he was nineteen oh, when he man. got locked up and thirty eight. Thirty eight when he came home. Oh yeah,
0: prison is and his so life. you know, we
1: had conversations. Yeah, that was his life. Yeah. You know, he basically grew up grew in up prison. There. Yeah. And um, you know, we had conversations about what that would be like, you know, what life would be like once he came home and he was just like, Look, you know, you know this is who you know this is what i want and he was very clear about what he wanted but because he had missed out on so much really what he wanted was stability yeah but really what he needed was true freedom yeah. and a relationship um them. didn't really right didn't allow him to, to truly be free yeah. and so um so it's been, our relationship over time started to unravel we, we had a fun together and, you know, children always complicate things. Yeah. So, you know, we, we weren't planning to have um, children soon. But within the first year, um, I got pregnant. And, and so we were raising our son together. And then eventually. How old is your son? Um, he's seven now. He's seven and a half.
0: Okay. Now, and, I, um, I wanted to say this. I feel like even with you guys not being together right now, the relationship was mm-hmm. still a success. A lot of people deem a successful relationship by you know long time being together 20 years 30 years whatever whatever but you have to think about where right. you came from where he came from how you met how it mm-hmm. carried on how it came outside of prison you made a family together and now you have a son that I'm pretty sure with your smarts yeah. and his toughness he's prepared for a real world so that was a success to me yeah
1: yeah and absolutely I think you know um obviously you know hindsight is twenty twenty, but we co-parent um, very well. That was never the design. We didn't plan for for this to happen. But I can't say that because of, the, I think, the way that we met and the way that we fell in love with each other. Like, I fell in love with him, and I saw him as a human in yeah. a way that I think early on in relationships we don't see because we, we sex is usually part of the picture very early on. Very true. So even after we broke up, I still... You know, we we had we still had a great friendship because that was there. That was the beginning because we didn't have anything but that. And so now, as we co-parent our son, um, and it's been four years since we broke up, and we co-parent him, and he doesn't he doesn't even know. I mean, he knows we're not together, but yeah. it's like, it's it's just seamless for us because we put him at the center, and it's really important. And we say that you know, I th- I think that we you know were brought together to create. Yeah. our son, because he's an amazing, amazing,
0: amazing, a amazing success. boy. So, yeah, it's a success. Yeah, it's a so success. I wanted to yeah. ask something a little bit off top, topic of the book, because, you know, it, it's a narrative that uh-huh. black women aren't patient, that you guys aren't submissive or can't be submissive. But what kind of upbringing did you have? Did you come from a two parent home, a single parent home? Because you have to have the most patience to have been through what you've been through and and to go through this and be in love with someone who's on the other side of a, a prison cell. So for me, I am I just want to know, like, what was your upbringing like? Because you're very patient, clearly very loving, and I think, you know, it may be an interesting story just to know how you grew up.
1: Yeah, so actually, um, I did not have the best um, upbringing. My mm-hmm. parents um, were married, um, but my mother was largely a single parent because my father was an alcoholic and was in and out. Okay. Um, and so i didn't have a good example of 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 uh, relationships or or love even and so i think that because i didn't have a good good example of of that from my parents it was like i wanted to do the opposite yeah i wanted i i you know my mother um even to this day you know is still very you know carries a sort of bitterness sort of man hating you know like i don't like, yeah. yeah so that i i was like i i don't want to be her because my parents relationship was so um, troubled, I was determined not to be her. And I yeah. felt like, you know, I'm going to get my fairy tale love. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So when I found Shaka and, and like I said, he checked out so many things on my list, it was like, okay, this may not be the traditional fairy tale, but this is, you know, a man who makes me, you know, happy, happy. and, you know, it has all the things that I've wanted in a partner. And so you know, I decided that regardless that I was I was willing to wait for it because I knew that you know he was worth waiting for. And yeah. I want to the patient, so. Yeah. After he came home, <laughs> I realized I wasn't as patient as I thought I was. Yeah. And you know, I'm you know I don't know if it's it's you know I'm I'm I don't want to be stereotypical, but I got a smart mouth, yeah. you know, and and that you know I was I was a little in, more impatient than I thought I would be, you yeah. know, like just to give you an example. Like when he came home, like every time I moved, he asked me where I was going, and eventually that attitude came out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I'm like I, because you know, in prison, I mean, you know, you you need to know where people are moving and where they're going, especially at night. Like yep. If I got up to go to the if I got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, he up like, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm just going to the bathroom. You know. So that again. Being ain't used to being by myself. And uh, so anyway, the attitude started to come out because he needed a little bit more patience from me than even I think he thought. Because he's yeah. like, I come home, don't hold my hand. I got this. You know, I got this. So I was treating him like I would treat anybody else. Yeah. And unfortunately, I needed to handle him with
0: a little bit a more little bit care. Yeah. And, so, and he went in as a kid. A little like bit more say. care. He went in at 19. Yeah. A lot of times that 19-year-old mm-hmm. boy is still there because, like you said, a lot of times they, they call prison rehabilitation, but they ain't rehabbing shit. You know, they fucking us nah. up and they putting us back on the street because they know we're going to be back in there because they fucked us exactly. up and didn't give us any tools to survive on the outside. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy when you were telling that story about him asking – You know, where you're going and so on and so forth. My brother was a sergeant in the prison for about eight years. And I remember going back home Uh and seeing him one day. And I walked up behind him and I touched him on the shoulder. And he's like, Yo, don't put, don't walk up behind me. I'm like, Bro, you act like you've been in prison. He's like, Bro, when we do 23 Mm -hmm. hour lockdown days and I work there 14 hours a day, six days a week, he was like, I'm in prison too. So, yeah, yeah, I never even thought about it like that. So I can only imagine, you know, my brother got eight hours or however many hours he got and some days off, like, you know your ex-husband didn't get any days off and he was behind those bars not free walking around in the prison
1: right before we right. let
0: you go i want to um is there anything you would have done different um with the relationship
1: yes absolutely i um would have one insisted that we had um therapy mm-hmm. and that he got some individual therapy um as I mentioned, just the trauma from being in the streets and trauma from being in prison for nineteen years, that is a lot to unpack. Yeah. And we had so many blind spots. So if I could do anything differently, it would definitely be um that we would have gone through therapy. Yeah. And, you know, there's a stigma in the black community around therapy and he didn't think he needed it. I didn't think he needed it. And by the time we realized that he shit, did. this is you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was it was too, late. too late. The resentment were so deep on both ends it was just like i don't know if we can even repair this anymore yeah
0: yeah well i'm definitely sorry to hear that part of it um that's something i did get i i caught that from reading uh, like i said the bio but what do you want people your readers who are re- who will be reading and purchasing the love prison made and unmade um what do you the message that you want people to receive from this book or take from the book
1: um there's several um several messages one is that um you know Women who are um, in relationships with men in prison, um, there's a lot of uh, stereotypes around that. And I want to demystify that. You know, um, I do not fit any of the stereotypes that that people have about women Mm. who um, are in relationships with men in prison. And so I want to demystify that. I um, also want to start a conversation that has not been had, to my knowledge, on a national level about what the impact of prison long after men and women come home. Because we talk a lot about criminal justice reform and about the things that are happening inside prisons. But once they come home, while we're excited and happy for their freedom, there's a whole lot that must happen in order for them to successfully transition. Yes. And there really are no resources there. There's no therapy. There's nothing really for families to help their loved ones adjust, but also for those who come home to adjust. So I really want to have a really serious conversation about the aftercare, like what happens once they come home and how we can support them, but also support couples, support families, because there's, I I did some research, there are over 6.5 million people in this country who have had a loved one incarcerated, and there's a whole lot of people that are impacted by incarceration, and we're not talking about the impact on the lives once Mm -hmm. they come home.
0: You might want to take a look at this, too, and maybe tell people, Artesia, if you can grab the mic, how do you spell it? But uh, we have a friend who created an app called Kite, and (laughs) it's basically an app that people can download, and if they have friends or family members incarcerated there, they can plug in their information, their numbers and stuff, and find them. And for a small fee, mm-hmm. it's, it's inexpensive. You can text them and send messages and pictures and stuff via awesome. a phone, you know, for them to be able to see that, like when they have time in the, okay. the library to look at a computer or, you know, we all know some of them got the plug and they got their own phones. Right. So it's just, a, <laughs> but it's a way for them to, to to be able to interact with them incarcerated. What's that website, Artesia?
1: It's www.kite.com and kite is spelled K-Y-I-T-E. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I would check that out
0: and definitely spread the word. That's something that can help bring people closer together. Um, Before we get out of here, Ms. Roberts, Mm -hmm. um, where can people find the book at and where can they find you at on social media?
1: Well, the book is available, will be available on July 9th. Wherever books are sold, you can go to my website, com. You can um, order it there and you can follow me on on Instagram at at love, excuse me, at love is our superpower.
0: All right. At love is our superpower and all this information will be in the description in the notes of the podcast once we release it. Uh, Ebony, we appreciate you for coming on. I knew you was going to be a good person. We both had the same last name. So if you're a Roberts, you all get it. know, right? And we black and in America, hell, we may be cousins down the line. So who in the hell? Not? might be. <laughs> but we do appreciate your time. And um, let's get, let's link back up. Maybe so once much. the book sells and, and it comes out and you do everything, if you want to come back, maybe we could come to Detroit Absolutely. or something to have an actual sit down and sit in studio together.
1: That sounds awesome. I love that. Thank well, you. Not a problem. Appreciate you have a great day. Thank you. All right, you
0: too. Bye-bye. All right, man. That was Ebony Roberts, uh, the Arthur of The Love, Prison Maid. Yeah, we just turned the phone off, so uh, we this ain't serious Satellite, goddammit. Artesia, you can pull yourself and bring yourself in uh, to the conversation. <laughs> Bloop. Yeah, I ain't editing that shit either. The reality is shit happens. All right, man, so hope you guys enjoyed Ebony Roberts. Again, Arthur of The Love, Prison Maid, and Unmade. Go check out the book. Again, we'll have all her information in the notes and description of the podcast. Uh, thank you guys for listening Episode 252 Denver recap We're about to step back in the studio and do that one So I told you motherfuckers We're bringing out two episodes this week So here you go And they'll courage to excel success yeah. you're now listening to this. Yeah. i heard this
1: yeah. one You're okay.
0: Four at four, we're working for you. An inside look at the local COVID vaccine trial for kids. What children reported days after getting the shot, and how it could impact the timeline of kids being vaccinated. Today at four p.m. on NBC Four. Tonight it's The Voice live rounds, and Nick Jonas wants his first win.
1: Let's get this done. Who's got what it takes, and whose dream ends here? Watch live and vote to save your face. The Voice live rounds tonight on NBC.